This is Who Wore What When, a podcast where we examine the lives of historical figures and what clothing they wore in the most significant moments of their lives. I'm your host, Maggie Latham, joined again by the lovely Bella McAllister. Oh, thanks for having me again. My special friend. <laughs> that sounds creepy. My special she's friend. My special friend. <laughs> she's not actually real, she's just me doing voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I'm just a fake Little did you know, I was super talented at that. Yeah. You are can make up a whole new person. Mm -hmm. Today's topic is Mansa Musa, the ruler of the wealthy West African Mali Empire from 1307 or 1312, depending on sources, to 1337. Now, the Mali Empire existed from 1240 to 1645, so that was a good long time Mm -hmm. as far as empires go. Um, longer than the United States has existed thus far. Yeah. Um, uh, which is a fair that's a good point. Like that's a really people interesting People are fact. always surprised by how long, how much longer so many other things are than the span of the United States. Because we right. have not existed very long. Yeah. It's like when you tell people, like, we haven't, as humans, we haven't been on this earth as long as you think. Yeah, like, because we're we're new. Yeah, we're brand new. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mere babies. Fresh from the womb of society. Wait, no, that doesn't make any sense. Fresh from, fresh from the womb of creation. Mansa Musa ruled the Mali Empire, as I said before, from 1307 or 1312 to 1337. And the Mali Empire was the largest and richest empire in West Africa, and most people have never heard of it um, because white people make history and mm. white people don't care about history of colored people. Um, yeah because that's the way things tend to work. (laughs) Um, And, you know, whoever writes the history is who gets to tell it, and because the white people kept better documents, Mm. we know more about European history than we do about African history, which is really unfortunate, because Mansa Musa's life is very, very interesting. Mm. Um, He's a wild man. (laughs) The Mali Empire was founded by Sundiata Keita, who founded the empire in 1230 and ruled until 1255. The capital of the Mali Empire is Niani, and the most important trading city is a city you have heard of, Timbuktu, which is near Niger. Mm -hmm. This is where major waterways and land routes converged, which made it a perfect trade hub. The empire included Ghana, Walata, Tadmecca, and the Kingdom of Songhai, and it stretched to the Atlantic coast So the north had salt and the south had golden ivory for trading. It may sound weird that salt would be on the same level as something like gold and ivory, which are seen as such impressive and fancy schmancy things. But salt was a hot commodity. Mm. Can you imagine food without salt? That's very true. Like, you think about all the things that have salt in it now, even all the, like, things you buy at the grocery store. So it's just something you don't think about. Yeah, salt, it's everywhere now. Mm -hmm. But you got a flavor But the people in the South didn't have it. But they had gold out the wazoo. (laughs) And elephants for ivory, apparently. Big sad. Um, So the Mali Empire ended up adopting Islam from Arab merchants, uh, who ended up spreading Islam in West Africa. This helped to convert locals, which ended up creating communities, and that attracted Muslim clerics from the north and strengthened the religion throughout the region. Now what you're all here for, the clothing. (laughs) 
Clothing was used as protection from the sun at this time in this region. And the best way to not get sunburnt was to cover your body. Mm. Uh, They also believed, uh, especially those who had converted to Islam, believed that God wanted them to cover. This was more for women than for men, as seen today, of course. Um, Men tended to just wear tunics, usually, that just went about to the knees, and occasionally would wear loose pants under the tunic. And women wore large cloth-like veils, um, but it was called a cloak. And this was used to keep off the sun and rain, used to keep warm if it got cold, because it is a desert and it does get cold at night. Um, It could be used as a tablecloth, all of these various things that it could be used for, um, and it often would hide the face or even be a baby sling. So many uses. Yeah, you know? They were useful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Practical. They got out of it what they could. Yeah. Men wore a smaller cloth that was wrapped around their head as a turban, and most garments at this time were made out of silk after 650 AD. Um, the local silk industry in West Asia made silk very cheap, and because it's a pretty light fabric, it's very breathable. Um, it's more pleasurable yeah. for people in that hot, hot climate. Mm, felt good on the skin. Cotton was also a popular fabric at the time. It was from India, and it was cheaper once the spinning wheel was invented in 1200 um, in Asia. And they could spin and make cloth faster than ever before, which efficiency is important when it comes to clothing. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're starting to populate the earth, you know. (laughs) Just like a little bit. Just a little bit. (laughs) You know, we love those Middle Ages. Yeah. So now on to Mansa Musa himself. Uh, We are unsure of when he was born exactly, as stated several times previously. Do you find it... Were there different documents, different recorded histories? There's very many different recorded histories because he was kind of the most famous figure from Africa from the time period. Mm -hmm. But because they didn't keep good enough documents, no one really knows. And he had to have been born sometime in that span in order for him to... Because they have records of when he died, as with most... Are they all written? Yeah, there yeah. were some written documents of, of his life because he... We, we will get into it because he's... He does some pretty spicy things. Yeah. We do know that Musa was the grand nephew of the founder of the Mali Empire, Sundiata Keita. Yes. Now, Mansa means king. Mm-hmm. Mansa is not his name. So he was called Mansa Musa, but his real name was Kanku Musa. And he inherited a very prosperous kingdom. He was lucky... Um, because he is considered one of the greatest rulers in all of Africa, but it's hard to be that when you don't inherit something that's already pretty great to begin with. Um, Musa gained the throne after his predecessor, Mansa Abu Bakr II, sailed into the Atlantic with a fleet of ships and was never seen again. Um, that's a good way to go. (laughs) He wanted to see, apparently, what lay over the horizon, um, and was willing to die for it. I had fun, but I gotta go. (laughs) Yeah, we don't actually know what happened to him, um... It's like, maybe next time. (laughs) Because, you know, back, back in those days, uh... It, it took a while. Yeah. <laughs> and also, fun fact, if you sail toward the horizon, you just keep going. I don't know if you knew that the Earth was round. <laughs> just educating you. Was, yeah, so. I wonder if that was, like, still Earth flat. Oh, I'm sure it was. Earth flat. <laughs> Earth flat, Joey, <laughs> <laughs> you know. 
Well, I mean, they didn't have they didn't focus as much on sciences, and the Renaissance hadn't happened, so everyone right. thought. And obviously, yeah. the Renaissance <laughs> is a European concept, but mm. at that point, everyone yeah. pretty much believed he actually they were floated. He was the first one to space travel. Yeah, <laughs> and no one knew. <laughs> yeah, he went all the way to outer space. He went to Mars. Yeah, um, it was amazing. Yeah. He's like, oh, this is what's there here. With, what's the what's the thing? With the rover? Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> Wally. <laughs> no. I know, not related, but no. Wally's a trash dude, but also... But he's a good he's trash He's a trash dude. bot. <laughs> trash dude. Trash dude. Mansa Musa was able to extend and maintain the Mali Empire. He ended up doubling the territory during his rule, which ended up being second only in size to the Mongol Empire. Damn. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Because the Mongol Empire is known for being massive. Yeah. (laughs) He had an army of 100,000 men and 10,000 horses, and he worked with the brilliant general Saran Mandian. He had, as the kids would say, horses in the back. (laughs) (laughs) He he got my horse. He got a lot. He got 10,000 horses Horses in the back. in the back. (laughs) Um. (laughs) He's like, do you you want to just look? Right, they're right there. Yeah. There's 10,000 horses in the back. 10,000 horses in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Sue us. Yeah. I hope Billy Ray comes for me. Yeah. I would want, I'd actually want to meet him. What Billy Ray Cyrus? That and Lil Nas. Oh, yeah. So, Musa ended up controlling up to Gambia and lower Senegal in the west, subdued the tribes along the whole length of the western Sahara border in the north. His control spread up to Gao on Niger in the east, and the Bure region and forests of, Go- of the Gold Coast in the south. The south was left semi-independent because their gold production was higher when they were left alone. And who doesn't want more gold? Mm. Um, am I right? Yeah. And Musa ended up having the most territory of any Mali ruler uh, mm. throughout the entirety of the empire's existence. Yeah. yeah. He's I'm just imagining the whole continent of Africa and all he was controlling. Yeah, it's it's impressive. And it was said that it would take a year to travel from one end to the other. Diggity I don't actually diggity. believe that because I, I don't think it would take that long. Yeah. But it's, maybe it's hyperbole foot. for effect. Yeah, I'm, maybe on, on foot, foot. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. So because his empire was so large, he divided it into provinces. Each was ruled by a governor who was appointed by him personally and that helped with the size and just how many various tribes and ethnic groups you had in an empire, because they don't always get along. Yeah. This also helped him have better records, uh, which were all sent to offices at the capital at Niani. The wealth of the region increased because of taxes on trade, copper and gold mines, and demanded tribute from conquered tribes. So, some particular things about Mansa Musa's clothing is that he wore wider pants than anyone had ever worn before. Oh. Um, they were made of 20 pieces of cloth, and ho- only he was allowed to wear them. Oh. No and, one. <laughs> yeah. No one can wear my so, funky pants. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot on, his, on what he wore, but that was the one thing that kept <laughs> popping up. Funky um, pants. And I am intrigued. Yeah. Personally, I... Uh, I'm, I think we should make wider pants. Just the widest pants, okay. twenty pieces of cloth. Yeah, I don't know how big the cloth was, so That's it could true. be just be like little baby pieces, little tiny cloths. <laughs> um, and in the most famous uh, 
modern portrait of him. Uh, all of the weapons were depicted in gold, and he was also shown with a page who was holding a silk umbrella. Damn. Yeah. Now, Mansa Musa is most famous for his 1324 pilgrimage to Mecca. This voyage spanned 4,000 miles. That's long because I fly home across the country, and that's 3,000 miles. Wow. That's an extra 1,000 miles. Yeah, so he walked 500 miles over and over and over again. He was just listening to that song. And he would walk (laughs) 500 more. Yeah. Just a couple more times. Yeah, a couple more times. Just to be the... The Mali Empire, <laughs> em- the em- Mali Empire, just to be the Mali Emperor. Yeah, who went to Mecca? Da 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 da, da 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 da. Wow! In his funky pants. <laughs> we should be songwriters. We should. Um, on his way to Mecca, he stopped in Cairo and caused a sensation. Yes. With the funky pants again. With the fine, they were just so impressed by his pants. Like twenty claws. <laughs> they were like, "Whoa, pants! Those are so big." Um, even the Sultan of Cairo, of Egypt, who lived mm-hmm. in Cairo, um, mm-hmm. was surprised by how wealthy this man was. Dang. He had one hundred camels with him, which each carried three hundred pounds or one hundred thirty-five kilos of gold dust. Oh my goodness. He had 500 slaves with 6 pound, or 2.7 kilo, staffs. Staffs of gold? Of gold. Oh my. Yes. He also had hundreds of other camels with food and textiles. He had horse riders who were waving red and gold banners of the king. He had an entourage of servants and officials in the 10,000s. Oh my gosh. And he and his followers, including the slaves and servants, all wore very fine clothes. So he wasn't, he didn't like to show off. Yeah, he was like, he was like, let's approach this with some subtlety. <laughs> he let's was subtly enter Cairo. Homely, very homely and yeah. very humble. Yes. Clearly. No, he, um, he liked his posse. Yeah. He was like, oh, me? <laughs> he liked you to make should an entrance. Um, just a little bit yeah um and i while he did he perhaps was um a bit show-offish yeah for lack of a better term he did give away so much gold and shop so much that the value of the gold dinar in cairo crashed by 20 percent dang so he was generous wow um it took 12 years for the market to recover (laughs) wow merchants were so excited that he was there and rich that they raised all their prices which caused musa and his people to overspend and left the city in debt okay yeah so he was generous maybe to a fault he did feel bad about what he had done okay uh so he did um contribute to the Egyptian investment into the Mali Empire so that merchants could recoup some of the value of things that were given on credit. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I didn't realize that credit had existed um, that long ago, but it did. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes (laughs) it didn't work out so great. Um, Upon meeting the Sultan of Egypt, Musa gave him 50,000 gold dinars, and the Sultan was kind of offended by this. So the sultan insisted that Musa kiss the ground in homage. Although the sultan did make him do this, he was given a palace for his three-month stay, so there, there was some respect shown mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. 
He was described by the Arab historian Al-Makrizi as being a young man with brown skin, a pleasant face, and a good figure. His gifts amazed the eye with their beauty and splendor. Hmm. So, very generous. He was good looking, too. Yeah. <laughs> good looking. A handsome fella. So refined. The news of his visit to Cairo and his grand entrance did make it to Europe, which inspired Spanish mapmaker Abraham Cresquiz uh, to create the first detailed map of West Africa, which is very cool. Yeah. We love white people finally accepting (laughs) that other cultures are valid. Yeah. Um, He was like, okay. Yeah, he created this first map in the 1375 uh, Catalan Atlas, and it shows... Musa sitting regally on the throne, wearing a gold crown, a gold staff in one hand, and a big old nugget of gold in the other. <laughs> Doesn't like gold. N- yeah. I mean, he had quite a bit of it. Ye- oh, yeah. Oh, just a really? little bit. Oh, okay. Just a little bit. Okay. Um, sure. And he's also shown just wearing a basic blue tunic. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. <laughs> he's like, the clothes, nothing. The gold, clothes don't matter. It's all about the The clothes gold, matter really. to us yeah. here. Gold is a moose's best friend. So many songs I could make. You should make an album <laughs> of educational songs. I will. It's gonna be my new my new goal. Yeah. The tales of Musa's grandeur also inspired European explorers to brave diseases, warlike tribes, and difficult terrain to find Timbuktu, this super mm. rich city in the Mali Empire. Um. And it was considered a golden city of the desert that no one could place on the map, even as far as the 18th century. Um, wow. They just didn't get it. <laughs> they could not figure where? out where it was. <laughs> I think they were able to go there, but they couldn't physically place it in space because right. nowadays we have All the, the ability. Yeah, we can go into outer space yeah. and like take standing in the middle of the pictures. desert. Yeah, yeah. And like Google you, the little Google car. Charles, do you? Oh my. Oh, I see sand everywhere, and I... There's just so much sand. I don't know. (laughs) After Cairo, he traveled to Arabia, where he purchased land and houses for pilgrims from Mali for the future who would go to Mecca so that they would have places to stay Um, because the Islamic religion was so important and Mecca is such an important place for the religion. Mm. He wanted to make sure that all of his people would have a comfy, cozy little little place to stay. Yeah. He, he thought of other... He was generous, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. He had some gold to go around, I think. <laughs> yeah, he could afford he to thinks. be. Although, Jeff Bezos also has some gold to go around, <laughs> and he doesn't do that, so... <gasps> Ooh, go off. Calling him out. During his pilgrimage, he extended his empire when his general captured Gao, and Musa ended up delaying his return to Niani to visit Gao. He wanted the personal submission of the king of Gao and to take his sons as hostages, which I know <laughs> now you're just thinking of sausages. Um, we just talked so much about how he is so generous and he. This was not his finest moment, in my opinion. Yeah. But you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, yeah. So there's that. Everyone has flaws. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has flaws, even the richest man of all time. Um, He was inspired by the holy sites that he saw on his pilgrimage to build uh, an audience chamber at Niani and mosques at Gao and Timbuktu. The great mosque that he built in Timbuktu was called 
Jingwerber Mosque. And all of the buildings that he ended up building were designed by architect Ishak Al-Tujin. And his architect was induced to come with 440 pounds of gold, slaves, and land along the Niger. Okay. So, yeah. a little bit enticing. Yeah. I, too, would go <laughs> for that. Um, not the slaves, though. Not the slaves. I yeah. would not want the slaves. I would say, please, please, no thank you. Yeah. Um... And his mosque was completed by 1330. Nice. So it didn't, it didn't take all that long. Yeah. He had a royal palace called Medugu, um, which was built in the capital and in Timbuktu. These <laughs> Medugu had fortification walls to protect Timbuktu against raids by Tuareg nomads of, southern, of the southern Sahara. These buildings were constructed using uh, banco, or beaten earth, is what we would consider that uh and they were reinforced with wood which often stuck out in beams from the exterior surfaces sounded weird but i don't care yeah he was also inspired by the universities he had seen on his pilgrimage um so he brought back lots of books and scholars and he encouraged islamic learning and timbuktu ended up because of this and because of his influence became internationally known for culture and religious study and was considered the holiest city in the Sudan. Nice. Yeah, he had some, uh, mm. some stuff. Yeah. And he, he did send native scholars to Fez in Morocco to learn and come back to teach people. Oh, cool. He was a lot about education. Yeah. Like a man who likes to keep his, oh, keep his people educated. Yeah. He also formed diplomatic links with other Arab states. And he increased the flow of investment into Mali as traders wanted access to the goods they had seen while he was on his pilgrimage. Mm. So a little bit about his clothing at this time. There is a painting of him wearing golden chainmail, um, which doesn't seem like the most effective, but certainly a fashion statement. <laughs> yeah. He was wearing in this portrait a green mantle that was pinned at the shoulder, um, sometimes considered a paludamentum. Uh, he was also wearing a lavish red cloth with beautiful golden embroidery, a golden white turban, and he had a gold shield on his back and was holding a large golden sword. Oh. So again, with the theme of gold. Uh, yeah. He it really liked every his gold. you've mentioned. <laughs> uh, He's got the gold. For a reason. Yeah. You know. Golden boy. <laughs> um, stay golden, Musa. Stay golden, Mansa yeah. Musa. Um, the final words. Musa died in 1337 and was succeeded by his son, Mansa Magan I, who only ruled for a very short time from 1337 to 1341. Um, he had ruled already as a regent during Mansa Musa's famous pilgrimage, so he had a little bit of experience. Nice. His resume was already built up. <laughs> they were like, we like how this checks out. Yeah. You're hired. This is okay. <laughs> um, and after the passing of Magan I... Uh, Musa's brother, Mansa Suleiman, uh, ruled from 1341 to 1360. There was foul play suggested that he uh, perhaps killed his nephew in order to become king, but there is no evidence <gasps> for this. Um, Mansa Mufasa. Mufasa's hand, and the, or paw, he's a lion, and then he falls his into hand. the hole that he's It's hand. a lion, but with human hands. <laughs> Should we... Are we... In, Mine's the right one. I think that's a, a funny image. I'm going to have to ask my sister to draw that. Oh, God. Please don't. don't Please draw Mufasa with human hands. Hi. Which sister? 
Abby. Abby, if you're listening, <laughs> we would like you to draw Mufasa, but with human hands. <laughs> She'd be like, okay. Please send it in as fan mail yeah. <laughs> to our email, which I'll list below. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. Okay. Um, the Mali Empire was still good for another century or so, but new trade routes were opened by the Portuguese and new gold fields were discovered. So then they sort of lost their monopoly on trade in this region, which led to the downfall of the Mali Empire, unfortunately. Mm. Mansa Musa got very lucky with his empire and its resources and location, but he did also help out a lot in stabilizing things, especially mm. in this region that is was known for a long time for not being the most stable. Nice. His level of extravagance proved to Europeans that Africa was not just full of barbarians, as they might call them, and actually had a great deal of wealth. Mm. And his legacy is not just of wealth and extravagance, but also of education, religion, and art and architecture, which he really brought to his people, yeah. which is really fun and funky. Right. Awesome. As we say. Good job. Thank you so much for listening to Who Wore What When. Tune in next week when we take a look at the life and clothing of probably one of the most influential people of all times, Jesus of Nazareth, known to most as Jesus Christ. This episode of Who Wore What When was researched and written by me, Maggie Latham. It was edited and produced by Dabney Rao. It is inspired by David Henderson's History of Clothing course at Hofstra University. This episode was sponsored by Excessive Heat, The Spiegel Theater, and Kombucha. Some of the research from this episode came from Mark Cartwright and the Ancient History Encyclopedia. Special thanks to Bella McAllister for being my lovely co-host. Just Um, laughing and commenting (laughs) quietly along. And that's just, I just loved it. Every second of it. And providing beautiful (laughs) noises. Built ASMR. Would you like to see all the incredible clothes we're talking about? Check out the new app, Entail. Entail is a new podcast platform which allows creators to add pictures, maps, links, quotes, and chapters to their shows for a rich, interactive experience. Entail users don't need to search for photos of the clothing we're mentioning. They can see exactly what we're talking about as we're saying it. Download it today at the Apple App Store and search who or what when to follow us. Special thanks to Katie McNeil, David Henderson, and everyone who voted on my Instagram poll that they would listen to this podcast. Did you know that making a podcast costs money? If you'd like to help make the production of this podcast possible, you can follow us on Patreon by searching Who Wore What When. For only $1 per month, you'll get access to bonus episodes, and for $5 per month, you can get access to some of our research materials. Additionally, for a one-time donation of $50, you'll get a custom embroidery made by me. Please support us with however much you can afford by going to Patreon and searching for who, wore what, when. We appreciate every contribution. Did you enjoy this episode? Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Five stars only, please. Tell your friends to listen. Tell your enemies to listen. And check us out on Instagram at who wore what when pod. You can also visit our website at www.whowarewhatwhenpod.com. Do you have questions, comments, or concerns? Email us at whowarewhatwhenquestions at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, whether it's questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for a future podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I think the outro should just be collection of burps. <laughs> It'll just be all the burps.
<laughs> this episode was brought to you by Maggie's Burps from Seltzer Water. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was me. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is awesome. Wow. Ooh.